0: Well good morning. Good, morning. good morning. Are you guys awake? Yeah, that's good because I'm not. Um, imagine that, that there was an organization that existed that could increase the average life expectancy of a child by eight years. An organization that could dramatically risk or lower their risk of suicide would significantly reduce the, the possibility of them abusing drugs and alcohol and tobacco, <clears throat> that, that would help people rebound from depression 70% faster, that would dramatically reduce their risk for committing a crime, that would in, improve a child's attitude, behavior, attentiveness, and performance in school, that would reduce the risk of teen rebellion that would provide people with an extended family wherever they go that would give people a moral compass that would last within their entire lives that would improve the odds that children as they grow into adulthood would be engaged in an active local church the research to support those findings that says that organization does exist was done by Duke University, Indiana University, the University of Michigan, the Center for Disease Control, Barna Research Group, Gallup, Pew, the National Institute for Healthcare Research, and some other surveys. Would you want to be involved in that organization? Now, add this to the mix. This TV shows approximately how many people there are on the planet right now. As you can see, the number keeps increasing. Over 7.2 billion people, each created in God's image, each in need of hope and purpose. Wouldn't it be great to be part of a global organization with local chapters that could give hope and purpose to each life represented here? Well, you can, and you are. As you probably have guessed, the organization that makes those kinds of positive impacts is the church. The two institutions that God created in the world are the home and the church. And for that reason, Satan is, of course, always interested in attacking the home and the church. But don't be afraid. 1 John 4 4 says, The one that is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen? Yeah. Over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the church, the universal church, but more about this local body of believers, Discover Christian Church. So, to do that, we need to define some things. First of all, what is the church? The church comes from a Greek word, ecclesia, which means called out, or assembly, or community. It has nothing at all to do with a building. Nothing. It's not a location. Now, people will ask, where is your church? And I understand the question. I also understand the response that we frequently give. This is a map from our new website that's going to launch in about a week. And it shows that we gather at 2900 Martin Road in Dublin on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, and different groups meet throughout the week, and our offices are here. But this is not where our church is. This is where our church is located. It's at Sylvian Drive and Richardson Avenue, at Stillmeadow Drive and Aaron Isles Court, at Stratford Avenue and Vinwood Lane, at Ambleside Drive and Langhorn Drive, at Culver Drive and Benison Court, at Converse Huff Road and Murrayfield Drive, at Brookfield Road and Tuscany Court, and on and on and on. We don't live at 2900 Martin Road. We live in our community, and our church is wherever our people are.
1: Lately, it seems that we are getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth. Though every church is called to make disciples So don't think of church as an address or a location But rather think of church as mobile and on the move Don't think of church as something built or planted But rather think of church as something deployed Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week But rather what you are every day of the week Because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ Feet shouldn't sit still Hands shouldn't be idle Feet go hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church.
0: The church is where the Holy Spirit dwells. A building is not the house of God. This building is not the house of God. This building is the house of God. And it's why we care more about what we look like spiritually than we care about what our facility looks like physically, although we have a wonderful facility and we certainly want to take care of it. But this is the church. The body of Christ is the people. We are the church, and we need to be the church. You know, there's a backlash in our culture, against the church. The world looks at the church and sees a group of judgmental, hypocritical people. And to be really, really honest, some of that is deserved. And you know what? Some of it's not. But this is... That doesn't surprise me, by the way. I don't expect people who don't love Jesus to love the church. (laughs) This is what disturbs me though. There is a trend among people who are followers of Jesus. Some people who say, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I don't even like it. Can I be really, really honest with you? If you really love Jesus, it's impossible for you not to love his bride, the church. Jesus cares about the church passionately, desperately. Jesus gave up his very life for the church. In Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. The church is the bride of Jesus. Jesus loves the church so much, he gave everything. Next time you're at a wedding, try this. Go up to the groom and say, Dude, I really love you. But I really hate your bride. If you say you love Jesus, love his bride too. Imperfect as she is, guess what? You're not perfect either. So, We need to love the church. We need to be the church. What does it mean, though, to be the church? What does that look like? Uh, And as always, the Bible is our reference, not what humans have put in place or any kind of traditions. And so there are tons of Bible passages that talk about the church and what the church is supposed to do, but we're going to just look at a few of them this morning. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Very likely you've heard this before if you spent any time in the community of believers. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here Jesus sets a cycle in motion. Go, make disciples, baptize, Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. What is the very last thing Jesus commanded us to do? He just said it. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach them. That's how you became a disciple of Jesus. A disciple, more likely a a few disciples, went. They came into your life. That is what we are called to do. So that's one part of what it means to engage as followers of Jesus, as the church. Let's go now to Acts 2.42. Again, if you've spent any time with the fellowship of believers, you'll kind of get this. You've already heard this, most likely. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread... And to prayer, four things that are listed there for us. Now, I've I've seen people try to take those four things and design a worship service, what we're doing here this morning around them. That's okay, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about your everyday life. If you're really engaged as a follower of Jesus, you can expect to be involved in these things. So here at Discover, you're going to hear the apostles' teaching. You're going to hear the the words of Jesus. And we give that unapologetically, and we will continue to do that. We will always speak the truth. We will speak it in love, but we will speak the truth. In the last three years in our Sunday morning uh, celebration services, we spent three months in Matthew, six weeks in Mark, Three weeks in Luke 15, four weeks in Second Peter, 31 weeks doing an overview of the entire Bible. And if you read that, the story, you read a huge chunk of the entire Bible. We just recently finished 10 weeks in Romans. And we also have done topical teachings based on the Bible, always based on the Bible, such as not a fan, common faith, surprised by Jesus, out of the box, The Art of Neighboring, and the one we just finished, God's at War. We're going to continue to teach the Bible because it is the Word of God and it changes lives. So you can expect those things. And just as the early church was in fellowship, you can expect authentic relationships here at Discover too. You know, the church is a family. It's a body. Like every family, like every body, it isn't perfect. Please, please, If you are perfect, would you please go somewhere else? You are driving us crazy. We cannot keep ourselves up to your standards. Make us really uncomfortable. Now, at the same time, we do not flaunt our imperfection and accept our imperfection. We allow the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the fellowship the breaking of bread, the prayer. We allow the community of believers and God himself to change us. But authentic relationship accepts you where you are, recognizes that you can't change on your own, but says, I'm praying for you. Would you pray for me? Let's help each other grow as God wants us to. Also, like the early church, we spend time eating meals together. I was really glad when I realized, or when I was, I didn't just like miraculously know it myself. I studied it. The breaking of bread, yes, includes the Lord's Supper. But do you know what that really is talking about? Food. It's hanging out and eating meals together. They did that. The early church did that. It was a huge, wonderful revelation for me. I was like, yes, we get to eat food together. It's awesome. It's very biblical. It's how we build relationships. Almost every single life group has food involved. That's biblical. There's obviously spiritual food as well, but the physical food is also part of God's plan. We intentionally, as a body of Christ, plan meals together throughout the year. It's biblical. Gluttony is not biblical, however, just... Yeah, that's eh, why did I have to throw that in? All right. And we just celebrated the breaking of bread in the way that we traditionally think about it. The Lord's Supper, we do that every single week because we know it's important for us to look at our hearts. And God will look at our hearts. And we need to say, God, I am not perfect. I thank you that Jesus forgave me. And this incredibly intimate, personal meal is something we share together. We remember the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ poured out for us. Also, like the early church, we pray together. We are on day 19 today of our 40-day prayer journey, so we're about halfway through. It's been great. April 6th, the chairman of the National Prayer Committee is going to be here speaking for us on Sunday morning at our services, and then he's going to be doing a a brief seminar in the afternoon about prayer, April 6th. We're going to be participating in the global prayer cast that's taking place in April. We're going to be part of the National Day of Prayer in May. We're going to be involved in the International Day of Prayer as a congregation For the persecuted church. And the international conference on missions this year for the very first time is going to be here in Columbus, Ohio in November. And the theme is vertical. It recognizes that we must go to God as well as go to people. God is doing some new things in us and through us with prayer. If you're part of this church, you can also expect to serve Just this week, we determined that our next uh, ministry fair is going to be April 27th. So if you've been interested in, well, how do I get involved? How do I get plugged in? That's coming April 27th, five weeks from today, the week after Easter. You can also expect excellence. But please do not expect perfection. We briefly mentioned that. But we honestly try to do everything as best we can, doing it very well. But we balance that with the reality that this is not a show. Our lives are not a display. And so there will be some things that are not flawless. But we think that's okay because we are serving God with our hearts. We also value grace. You're going to see it. You're going to hear it a lot. It's because we all need it, so we need to give it. Sometimes I think people think we're a little too generous with grace here. I don't know. It seems to me that we should not be stingy with something that Jesus gave so freely to us. When we gather as the body of Christ, here's what happens. When we gather, we are filled. We are filled. We breathe in the goodness and the strength of God together. This is the church giving life to us. The the parts of the body engaging with God and with his people. And then, when we go out as the body of Christ, we are poured out. We breathe out the goodness and the strength of, of God as members of his holy family. This is the church giving life to the world. The parts of the body engaging with people around us. So, what does it look like to engage here at Discover? It looks like a lot of things. But one way to summarize it is our mission statement. We exist to love God, to love people, and impact the world. Now, as we unpack that phrase, that mission statement, for a couple of minutes, it's helpful for us to recognize a fascinating trend, uh, and kind of an unfortunate but a, a fascinating trend that's happening here in our culture in the United States where we live. How we reach people who are non-Christians is very different than it was 25 or 50 or 75 years ago. And the study that recognized this trend and put some terms on it used these words. It used the word uh, Christ and community and cause. I was blown away by that because love God, Christ, love people, community, impact the world, cause, cause. But this is interesting. Here's how this has changed. In the 1950s through the 1980s, people who were not Christians would listen when you talked about Jesus. You could go out and talk to a stranger and say, You are a sinner, and you're going to hell without Jesus, and you need to know who he is. And they would be like, Yes, that's true. Billy Graham crusades were huge. And then they would give themselves to Christ. They would be one to Jesus. Then after that, they would say, well, if I'm a Christian, then I need to come into this community. Right? I'm part of the body of Christ, so I need to be part of the local body of Christ. So I'm interested in the church. And then as they got in, they would say, well, the church is supposed to do things to make a difference. So now I'm interested in the cause. So that was this period of time up through about the 1980s. Uh, There was a shift that began to happen, and if you have spent any time in the church, you're recognizing this. In the 1990s through about 2010, it was about community. It was about, hey, just show people you love them. You know, engage them. Get them connected to other people. It's about the community. And the church was there to attract people. And people were one to that. And then they were like, well, now that I I see you guys are really not that weird. I mean, you're a little weird, but you're not that weird. Um, I think I'm interested in Jesus. And then they would embrace Christ, and then they would embrace the cause. It is not that way anymore. This is how it is today, and you, you probably realize this. It's all about the cause. It's all about the cause. For people who are not Christians, they do not care if you are a Christian. They do not care if you love Jesus. They don't love Jesus themselves. They don't care. It doesn't matter. But they do want to know this. What are you doing to make a difference? Anybody ever had that asked of them? Well, how come your church doesn't get more involved in doing stuff to help people? It's all about the cause. And you know what? That's okay. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with people wanting to be about a cause. And we as a church, now we recognize that for us to really make a difference in the world, we have to do things differently. To reach someone who is a non-Christian, we have to win them to the cause And then they will be one to our community, and then they will be one to Jesus. Few exceptions, of course. But for people who are not already looking for God, that's the way things are in our country. Now for us, the order of our mission statement is still absolutely correct. You love God first, you love people second, and you impact the world. But for the non-Christian, tell me about your cause I might be interested in your community. And then what's the motivation behind all that stuff you guys do? Jesus understood this. He talked about it. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Very familiar. Jesus is talking. This is what he says. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can, it be made good, uh, how can it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do you see the order? <laughs> Jesus says, let your light shine, impact the world, before who? Not animals, before men, people, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Salt preserves, it heals, it, it seasons. Light penetrates the darkness. It gives illumination to the way, which is Jesus. Obviously, the goal is to make disciples. But if that's the first thing you do as you're coming to someone, it's not going to work. Jesus healed people as he forgave them, as he taught them. Now, again, what seems more important? Spiritual, emotional, or physical health. I mean, ultimately, we know your spiritual health is the thing that's going to last forever. But if you try to give physical bread to someone and they're hungry, I'm sorry, if you try to give spiritual bread to someone and they're physically hungry, they don't really care. And they might just die before you give them physical bread. If someone emotionally is messed up, and you try to come in with this amazing transformational stuff about Jesus, first, they may not even understand or comprehend or be able to grasp who he is. By the same token, if all you do is give physical and emotional bread, you've missed it. Those things are absolutely important. But you have to give spiritual nourishment as well. Jesus did all three of those. And, you know, it's really exciting. We partner, not only as a church are we doing these things, we, we partner with organizations locally and regionally and globally. We don't partner only with faith-based groups. I mean, we try to do that as much as we can, but there are some other organizations that are doing some great things. There are local leaders who are coming, who are coming to us as a church and saying, would you please get involved? Could you please help? They're approaching us. We're excited about engaging with them. You know, history... Uh, shows that the church has been on the forefront of making changes. Poverty and justice issues, the civil rights movement, the anti slavery movement, which continues to this very hour, the pro life movement, and many other causes. Have been led by the church. The church has established many of the hospitals and universities in our nation. Why does that happen? Because wherever Christians go, they take the message of Jesus, and the message of Jesus is salt and light to the world. We are all about causes that matter to Jesus because Jesus represents people, and I'm sorry, because causes represent people, and people matter to Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39. And the second is like it, which means there's a first. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the love people part of it. Jesus loves people, so as followers of Jesus, we should also love people. Jesus was against sin, but he was for people. He especially had a heart for people who recognized their own sin and their struggle with it. The first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. They record the life of Jesus from the perspectives of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now here's a question What do we find frequently in the Gospels? A. Jesus condemning sinners. B. Religious leaders condemning sinners. C. Jesus condemning religious leaders. D. None of the above, or E, B, and C. The correct answer is E. Religious leaders frequently condemned sinners publicly in the Gospels. And because of that, Jesus frequently condemned religious leaders publicly because they didn't even recognize their own sin. You know what we don't see in the Gospels? We don't see Jesus publicly condemning sinners. Why? Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost, not to seek and destroy the lost. Christians are to be different. We should be like first responders. We should run into the burning building of someone's life when everyone else is running out. We love people, especially when life gets messy. And finally, and again, really, this is the first thing we engage with God. Going back to Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says, First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. We're supposed to love people, but we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. All means all. And when we engage with the world and we engage with people, if we don't engage with God first, we are doing it in the flesh, just in human strength, and our own frailty. But when we engage with God first and then we engage with people and engage with the world, the results are supernatural and eternal. God is doing something here at Discover. Something hard, something bold, something exciting, something God-sized. god sized and we're excited to see a renewed passion in the church. You know, the counter on this TV shows that there are many more people on the planet than there were just a few minutes ago when we first started talk- talking. So we need to be the church. Because the church is the greatest hope that every person on the planet has because that's what God designed it to be. I don't know if you're like me, but I hope you're not. But it's overwhelming for me to think about reaching 7.2 billion people. I can't do that. So instead of thinking about reaching 7.2 billion people, think about reaching the seven people that God is calling you to reach around you. Be salt and light to them. That's what a teacher named Miss Thompson did. Miss Thompson was a fifth grade teacher. She was a good teacher, but Miss Thompson was uh, a little frustrated with one of her students. His name was Ted. Ted Stallard, and Ted was really not that great of a student. Didn't pay very much attention. He was kind of always seemed like he was in another place. He uh, wasn't able to get his work done. He frequently turned things in, in that were incomplete and with lots of errors. And, and she felt really justified when she took that big X and just put it over him to let him know how wrong he was on his paper. If only Ms. Thompson had read Ted's records for his first years in elementary school. If she would have read those a little more carefully, she would have recognized something was going on. Here's what it says. First grade, Ted shows promise with his work and attitude, but he has a poor home situation. Second grade, Ted could do better, but his mother is seriously ill, so he receives little help from home. Third grade, Ted is a good boy, but he can't focus. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade, Ted is very slow but well behaved. however, his father doesn't seem to show any interest in him whatsoever. Well, Christmas arrived in the fifth grade class, and the children all brought their presents in to put on the desk of miss thompson and and give her gifts and and so they all gathered around and they opened up each, as she opened up each package, they were wooing and awing. It was like fireworks. It was cool. And then Miss Thompson opened Ted's present, and it was pretty poorly wrapped, just with some brown paper and scotch tape. And when she opened it up, uh, an old bracelet with half of the, the gemstones out of it fell onto the desk, and so did a half-empty bottle of cheap perfume. And the kids began to laugh. Miss Thompson, however, grabbed the, the bracelet and put it on and said, this is really nice. And she took the perfume and sprayed it on her other wrist and said, children, doesn't that smell wonderful? At the end of the day, After all the other children had gone out of the room, Ted went up to Miss Thompson. He said, Miss Thompson, you know, you smell just like my mom did. And she died, and I haven't smelled that for a long time, and you remind me of her. And I think that bracelet looks real pretty on you, Miss Thompson. I'm glad you like it. And they walked out of the room. Miss Thompson, who was a follower of Jesus, got down on her knees and she said, God, I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask for your wisdom and your strength to be able to reach Children like Ted who are right on the margins, they are just barely surviving. God, would you help me to make a difference in their lives? The next day, when the kids came to class, they had a new teacher. I mean, it looked like Miss Thompson, but something was different. And she poured herself out. She poured out her love and her compassion into those kids like she had never done before. Well, fifth grade ended. Ted and the other students left, and she didn't really hear from Ted. Most students don't go back and thank their teachers. You should. But one day she got a card in the mail. And it was really simple, and this is what it said. Dear Ms. Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I will be graduating second in my class. Love, Ted. Four years went by, and she got another card. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I will be graduating first in my class of college. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Ted. A few years later, Ms. Thompson got one more card. This is what it said. Dear Ms. Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stallard, M.D. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat if she were alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Miss Thompson attended that wedding, and she sat where Ted's mother would have sat. She was entitled to that honor because of the compassion that she showed to a young man. You know, Miss Thompson engaged the world with a cause. Ms. Thompson engaged with people. She enlarged her circle to include children like Ted. And Ms. Thompson engaged with God. When she realized she wasn't the salt and light that God wanted her to be, she asked for forgiveness and wisdom and strength, and he gave it to her. So what about us? Where do we stand? Do you stand with Jesus not only as your Savior, but as your Lord? Do you love Jesus and his bride, the church? Do you stand ready to go and make disciples and baptize and teach? Are you committed to engaging with God first, to loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Are you committed to engaging with people to love your neighbor as yourself? Are you committed to engaging the world to make a tangible impact with a cause that's precious to Jesus? If not, that can change today. You can join with Jesus if you never have. You can come forward and you can pray. You can ask to receive him as Lord of your life. You can be baptized. You can commit to following him and all of his teachings. If you're already a Christian, but you're not connected intimately, you're not engaged with a local body, you can do that today. If you've already declared your faith in him, come forward and declare it one more time uh, and and join us here at Discover in, as we engage with God and people in the world. And if you already are in that place. You've already given your life to Jesus. You're already connected with this local church. Let me ask you one more thing. Are you focused more on you or on some of these 7.2 billion people? We don't have time to mess around with things that are unimportant. And God has created you Uniquely with passions and gifts. And you bring something unique to the body of Christ. We're going to talk about that more next week. So we're going to sing a song. And I know a lot of times this is checkout time. It's like, I wonder where I left the car. You know, who's getting to the restaurant before us? I got to go get the kids. Can I ask you if it's at all possible, would you just stay for this song? And would you really commit yourself to the words that we're going to sing listen to what they are this is my desire to honor you lord with all my heart i worship you all that is within me i give you praise all that i adore is in you lord i give you my heart i give you my soul i live for you alone every breath that i take every moment i'm awake lord have your way in me if we live like that as a church It would change us completely and it would change the world. Engage. Be the church together. Let's stand.